Between the Liner Notes is sponsored by Bedphones. I listen to a lot of music, and one of my favorite times to listen is when I'm lying in bed trying to fall asleep. Until now, every pair of headphones I've owned was too uncomfortable for bed. If you lie on your side or stomach, sleeping with headphones on is nearly impossible. But Bedphones has changed the game. Its engineers designed a headphone that is so thin it practically disappears between your ears and the pillow. Now I can listen to some relaxing music or my favorite podcasts and fall asleep comfortably with my Bedphones on. Please visit Bedphones.com and use promo code BTLN10, as in the numbers 1-0, to receive $10 off your new pair of Bedphones. The zombies are no more. There is a group calling itself the zombies, but these zombies are not the zombies that made hits of She's Not There, Tell Her No, and Time of the Season. Those zombies are British and split two years ago. The group now calling itself the zombies have British accents. Well, sort of, sometimes, and sometimes they forget and slip into a drawl, referring to the audience as y'all. Despite requests to cease and desist, the American zombies have been continuing their perpetration. People were calling me from all over, telling me how bad these zombies were, said Chris White, bass player for the British Zombies. People begged me to say they're not the real zombies. It's really been a nasty thing. Rolling Stone magazine. Hi, I'm Matthew Billy, and this is Between the Liner Notes, a podcast about music, why it is the way it is, and how it got to be that way. This show is distributed by the Goat Rodeo Network. The Zombies are an English rock band that formed in the early 1960s. Band members have changed over the years, but when the Zombies scored their first hit single, their membership included lead singer Colin Blundstone, keyboardist Rob Argent, bassist Chris White, drummer Hugh Grundy, and guitarist Paul Atkinson. Decca Records became interested in the band after they won a local song contest, and the label signed the Zombies to its roster in 1964. Later that year, the band released its first single, She's Not There, which became a hit in both the United Kingdom and the United States. But it's too late to say you're sorry How would I know? Why should I care? Please don't bother trying to find her She's not there That got them over to America for the first time. They had a hit in the States. They did like a Dick Clark tour and played with, you know, like the Ronettes and and the Beach Boys on these like traveling Dick Clark tours. So that definitely was like the thing that brought them over here and even put them on the map here at all. That's Daniel Ralston, author of the BuzzFeed article, The True Stories of the Fake Zombies, The Strangest Con in Rock History. At the end of 1964, the Zombies followed up their first hit with another top 10 single titled Tell Her No. After two in a row, Decca was eager to get the boys back into the studio to record a third. Unfortunately, recreating their initial success was easier said than done. Over the next few years, the Zombies released a string of singles, but each failed to crack the top ten. Frustrated by their lack of success, the band began to unravel. You have this disparity in the band where the songwriters in the band are, um, they have money and publishing and the other guys in the band are riding their bicycle to practice and you start to get this split. Despite their differences in income, the Zombies agreed to make one last album and signed a recording contract with CBS Records International. 
and they kind of buckle down and make this record Odyssey and Oracle in 1967, which now is thought of as one of the best records of all time. But when it came out, nobody wanted it, and it just completely bombed. But making their album wasn't easy. CBS cut the Zombies' recording budget so much they couldn't afford session musicians and had to orchestrate the album with a Mellotron keyboard. But even after scrimping, money ran out before the album was finished. The Zombies had to reach into their own pockets to pay to mix the recordings. They finished the record and they sent it out and it didn't chart. Like I think the one song maybe went into the top 40 in England and then nothing charted here. The album's poor performance didn't seem to bother anyone. The Zombies had parted ways before the album was finished, and CBS Records wasn't willing to devote many resources to promote an album by a band that didn't exist anymore. Even when someone noticed a glaring mistake in the album's artwork, both the label and the band were just like, whatever. And the famous anecdote about how little they cared about the record is that Odyssey is spelled wrong on the cover of the record and they never fixed it. Like, the label said it wasn't worth it to fix it. After two poorly performing singles, CBS Records was ready to cut their losses and let Odyssey and Oracle slip into the dustbin of history. Meanwhile, over in the United States, a few copies of Odyssey and Oracle found their way to the offices of a subsidiary of CBS called Date Records. A newly hired A&R man put the record on his turntable and listened. This A&R man was also a musician who became well-known for founding the band Blood, Sweat, and Tears. The guy named Al Cooper, who uh, played with Bob Dylan and a bunch of other people, and is like a formidable musician in his own right, was doing A&R for Date Records, which was the Zombies label in the States. And he's like, this song, Time of the Season, is like the song. It's kind of psychedelic. It's It definitely sounds a little like San Francisco influence. It was like a last-ditch effort in America where they were like, oh, you know, we're going to put out this song, Time of the Season, as a single. Like, just as like a last-ditch effort. It was the third single off of Odyssey and Oracle. And they released it as a single, and it, it went straight up to number three in the United States. Despite being broken up, you'd think that having a hit song in the U.S. would be cause for a celebration. But the zombies didn't celebrate. They didn't even know that they should be celebrating. It was like a huge hit. But the band didn't know that it was a hit back in England. Like, they were just, they had broken up. Nobody told them. Their labels didn't talk. The U.S. labels. And because the band didn't really exist anymore, the band wasn't pushing. Rod Argent formed Argent. He's playing with Chris White. Colin Blunstone had his own solo career. The other guys just went off and got jobs and regular lives. So nobody was pushing for information. So in that void, they have a hit record in America, but there's no zombies to like exist, to actually go tour. Unless they read music magazines religiously, zombies fans in the United States didn't know the band had dissolved. All they knew was this song called Time of the Season was constantly on the radio. They liked it and wanted to see the band perform it live. The zombies may not have existed anymore, but the demand for their performances finally did, and one company named Delta Promotions stepped in to fill the void. Delta Promotions is a company in Bay City, Michigan, that kind of put on local events, managed a few bands, and they had this idea to put together fake versions of bands and send them on tour. Like, they somehow figured out that there were no zombies on tour, so they built a fake zombies to go out on tour. 
The goal was to actually trick an audience into thinking that they were seeing and hearing the real deal. Delta Promotions actually created two fake zombies that toured in different parts of the country. The first was from Michigan, whose members looked the part and were apparently so good at harmonizing with each other that they sounded just like the real thing. Zombies fans loved the Michigan knockoffs, so Delta Promotions gave them a bona fide tour bus and booked them gigs at large venues. The second fake zombies was from Texas, and they weren't quite as gifted at impersonating another band as their northern counterpart. When they performed, their set list consisted of a single zombie song. They spent the rest of the show doing their own thing. The Texas zombies didn't sound like the zombies, nor did they look like them. While researching his BuzzFeed article, Daniel Ralston uncovered a photograph of the band from Texas. So that is a picture of four guys who could not be dressed less like the zombies. They're wearing like very like Texas hippie clothes, like fringed vests and cowboy hats. They don't look anything like the zombies and there are only four of them. The zombies were a five piece and it's a promotional photo that says the zombies on it and they were pretending to be the zombies. And yet American audiences somehow believe that these cowboy hat wearing Southern rockers were a band from England. Fans bought tickets to their shows all over the South and few asked questions, leaving us to ask how this counterfeit band wasn't spotted by someone. This happens in a void of time where you don't really know that much about a band. Um, they had been here once before, but they looked like the Beatles when they came over. But everybody looked different. Uh, you know, a kid who dressed like the Beatles in 1964 dressed like a hippie in 1967. Uh, so you didn't really know what they looked like. Maybe you saw a picture on a record cover or a black and white photo in the newsprint version of Rolling Stone. But you don't really know what they look like. And you know they have one hit song and you kind of like that song and you saw that they were playing in your town, so you'd go down and and check it out. That's really all it was. And if, if they weren't that good or they weren't exactly what you expected, then you paid two bucks and, and it was at a roller rink and you just went home and that was it. The Texas group's success with Zombies fans emboldened them to try the same stunt with the Zombies' actual record label. There's a mention of it in the Rolling Stone story, which is that the fake Zombies from Texas supposedly contacted the record label and tried to actually get like promotional money out of them for the tour, hoping that they just wouldn't realize they weren't the real guys. It did not work at all. The Zombies were not the only band Delta Promotions created counterfeits for. They organized fakes for a lot of bands that weren't able to tour, and eventually, some of the members of those bands caught on. This guy, Tom Hocott, who I found up in Michigan, he worked for Delta Promotions. He was like a teenage kid working for them. And he was very connected. He booked a lot of these tours. So the guy who ran Delta, a guy named Bill Kehoe, he passed away in the 90s, so this Tom Hocott's really the only connection to the company. And he said that friends of his were in the fake animals and they called him and said, dude, you gotta get us home. We can't be out here anymore. Eric Burden from the animals showed up at the show and they had subpoenas and baseball bats and they were chasing us around. Eric Burden, the lead singer of the animals, doesn't recall showing up at a fake animal show with baseball bats and subpoenas. But hey, it was the 60s. If the story is true, being called out by an actual band member failed to dissuade Delta Promotions from touring around their fake bands. Delta did, however, take notice when another fake band, one that they did not put together, confronted them. One of the other bands that they, that Delta Promotions did this for was the Archies. The Archies were a cartoon band. They had the song Sugar Sugar. They were based on characters from the Archie comic universe. You'd think that impersonating a cartoon band would be easier, 
but it was actually harder because they were owned by Don Kirshner, who's like the guy who put the monkeys together. It was like a very litigious guy. And he immediately, when he heard about this, he, he went after Delta Promotions and then the whole thing kind of just fell apart. Most people know Don Kushner from his TV show, Don Kushner's Rock Concert. But before he had his show, Kushner produced the Archie's cartoon. He commissioned a studio band in New York City to record all the Archie's music, and none of those studio musicians had any intention of touring as the Archie's. After they had a hit with Sugar Sugar, Delta Promotions sent a fake Archie's out on tour. Kushner and his army of network television lawyers got wind of the counterfeit act and sued Delta for trademark infringement. The suit attracted the attention of Rolling Stone magazine, who published the first of the very few articles exposing Delta's con. Delta Promotions tells booking agents they have, quote, affidavits you can see. The affidavits are printed on Delta Promotions stationery and illiterately state that the zombies, animals, or archies are the only sanctioned group by the National American Federation of Musicians Office and trademarked in the Patent and Copyright Office. It represents the only groups that can legally perform under those names throughout the world. Enter Don Kirshner, who asserts that, quote, The Archie's music property is controlled by my operations, and we've notified Delta Promotions that our lawyers are taking action. With legal legs to stand on, Kirshner may deal Delta its first serious blow. But Delta won't go down without a fight and plenty of last gasps for money. Rolling Stone Magazine, May 28, 1970. The article in the Rolling Stone forced the owner of Delta, Bill Kehoe, to pen a public response. Two weeks after the Rolling Stone article, he publishes a letter to the editor in the Bay City, Michigan newspaper, and it basically says, I'm quitting the music business because of all the cheats and fakes and liars uh, in the music business, and blames the mob and all these bands trying to rip him off for ruining his business. Kind of goes out guns blazing. After Delta Promotions folded, the Texas Zombies went on to form their own original band that you might have heard of. We'll have more about that after the break. Between the Liner Notes is sponsored by Bedphones. When Bedphones design their headphones, they recognize that everyone's ear is shaped differently. That's why Bedphones attach to your ear with a gentle rubber-coated memory wire that is infinitely adjustable for a custom fit. Not only does the memory wire keep the headphones in place while you sleep, but you can work out in them as well without them constantly falling off your ear. Bedphones. Infinitely adjustable, infinitely comfortable. Please visit bedphones.com and use promo code BTLN10, as in the numbers 1-0, to receive $10 off your new pair of bedphones. Between the Liner Notes is also sponsored by Pippa. If you have a podcast of your own, Pippa is a super simple way to host and share it with the world. They have detailed analytics. They make it easy to switch from whatever host you're using now. And best of all, it's free. Full disclosure, Between the Liner Notes is currently hosted by Pippa. Please visit pippa.io to join. That's P-I-P-P-A dot I-O. The lawsuit wiped out Delta, and pretty soon the company boarded up its doors. Now, without an employer, members of the fake bands went their separate ways. Using the names printed on the photo of the fake zombies, Ralston attempted to track down the members, but searching for the names led nowhere. The one bandmate he could track down, named Mark Ramsey, revealed that two of the names on the photo were as fake as the band. The real names are Dusty Hill and Frank Beard whom you may recognize as members of ZZ Top. 
Well, the Texas Zombies sort of split off then. So Dusty Hill and Frank Beard from ZZ Top, they form ZZ Top less than a year later, and they take with Billy Gibbons, and they just take off. Ralston didn't want to publish an article accusing two members of ZZ Top of being part of a counterfeit zombies band based on nothing more than hearsay evidence. So he reached out to ZZ Top and asked them if the story was true. I had been in touch with their manager and, and talking to their manager, who's a guy named Bob Merlis, about this and saying, like, look, we're going to run this story. It happened 46 years ago. We know there's no real, like, legal repercussions here. So it's kind of a fun thing. Maybe you want to get out in front of it. And, and they just didn't answer at all. We asked probably five or six times. And then on my birthday, like two weeks before the story ran, we just got a list of questions answered. We had sent a list of questions that said, if we could have a moment of Frank Beard's or Dusty Hill's time, these are the five questions we need answered. And we got an email back from Dusty Hill. He answered the questions. That's all we got. But it was like an acknowledgement that it happened. And it felt like it was the last push that we needed to really run the story. Now that we know the story is true, one has to wonder, if the Texas Zombies were never formed, would ZZ Top exist? Hmm. No, I don't think so, because there were a lot of connections there that happened through that whole world. Yeah, the, people would have taken a different path there. That's an interesting question. But we got ZZ Top out of it, so we're not going to complain. At a recent concert in Los Angeles, Ralston had the opportunity to show original Zombies member Chris White some of the photos of the fake zombies. 45, 46 years later, Chris White was the person in the zombies who I talked to the most. And he could not have been nicer, could not have been more friendly, said how much he loves ZZ Top the first time we talked. He thought it was a hysterical story. Decades after both the real and fake zombies disbanded, music fans began to take a second look at the zombies. Despite the misspelled title, Rolling Stone magazine has even named Odyssey and Oracle one of the top 100 best albums of all time. And now the fact that the zombies are doing like a 50th anniversary tour for Odyssey and Oracle at the same time that the story comes out, and I feel like there's a little bit of reappraisal of them, that might be overstating it a little bit, but I feel like people are talking about them a little bit. And the fact that they were playing casinos and now they're doing like a sold out theater tour says that they've like sort of made some sort of conscious jump. In 2004, two members of The Real Zombies, Rob Argent and Colin Blundstone, reunited and began performing again under their original moniker. If you were one of the fans Delta Promotions duped into paying to see a counterfeit version, well, you're in luck, because the new incarnation might have different members, but the zombies still sound like they did in the 60s. The really nice thing is that if you go to see them now, Colin Blundstone still sounds exactly the same. This episode was produced by me, Matthew Billy. Tim Townsend was the editor. Laura Vandiver read the Rolling Stone magazine articles. Big thanks to Daniel Ralston for being our guest. You can find his article about the fake zombies on BuzzFeed. Special thanks to Carrie Ann Thomas for turning us on to this story. The instrumental track, Sunny Side of the Street, was composed by Josh Woodward. Between the Liner Notes is distributed by the Goat Rodeo Network. For more information about the show, please visit betweenthelinernotes.com. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or whatever application you use to listen to podcasts. And thanks for listening. We'll talk some more on the next Between the Liner Notes.